everyone. It's Kristen. Hope you guys are doing well. Really excited to have you today. We are going to dive into the story of Hannah today. And really, it's a story of um, real connection for me as Hannah struggled with infertility. And I, too, have been really honest on this podcast about struggling with infertility. But more so than that, it's a story of how we deal with some of the trials that we're in in our life and the highs and the lows and the bitterness we may have and the illusion of control. It's a really deep but meaningful topic, and we're glad that you guys decided to join us today. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Gina Ferrari. I'm Kristen Corona. And I'm Catherine Baer. When walking in faith seems impossible and you can't see the purpose in your pain, we are here to help you find hope in the struggle. Welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Catherine Baer. I'm here with my good friend... Kristen Corona. Hello. And yes. And Gina has the episode off. Not the day off, but just the episode Just the off. episode off. Graduation. Yeah. yeah. Her nephew's graduation. Yeah. So it is just Catherine and I. It is. I think this is the first time that just it Kristen is. and I have done an episode. Yeah. So. Feels weird not having our third here. I know. <laughs> we kind of need our, our third partner in crime here. Yeah. But I'm pretty confident that we can carry it. So we'll do our best. We've got this. Yeah. But today... Uh, Kristen and I are going to break down a story, uh, which is the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And we want to dive into the highs and lows of her story. And it sort of nicely dovetails, I think, with Kristen's story. And I think it'll be really interesting to compare the two and and find similarities and takeaways there. Um, but I want to kind of just jump into the story right away. And, and some of you listening may know the story well of Hannah, who is Samuel's mother, who really uh, struggled with infertility um, through the years. But what we know about this story, and again, this is taken from 1 Samuel 1 through 28, is that year after year, this family, which was Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, and uh, her his second wife, which is Panina, um, and Panina's children. And so year after year, the family made a pilgrimage three times per year. Actually, there were three feasts that they were required to attend, religious feasts, held at the tabernacle. And so year after year, three times a year, they would make this voyage. And as I mentioned, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children. She had both sons and daughters, although we don't know how many. And Hannah had none. And she struggled with infertility. And that's verses two through six. Um, experts do estimate that Hannah struggled with fertility, infertility for approximately 19 years. What do you think of that when you hear that, Kristen? Well, first of all, having two wives is, <laughs> is shocking to me. And I know we'll get to that in a yeah. second. Yep. Um, but 19 years of struggling with infertility is just crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, we've been struggling, my husband and I, I would say five years and wow. I'm at the, at, like just about done with this road. Yeah. Right. So I just can't imagine struggling for that long. Yeah. Um, it's really remarkable. 
to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's remarkable that she not only struggled, but she suffered mm-hmm. for 19 years at the hands of this rival wife, if you want to call her that. Um, her nemesis, right? Her enemy uh, who chose to essentially assault Hannah with her words. Yeah. Um, and just torture her that she yeah. didn't have children. It's so sad. Just it is so really evil. sad. And yeah. I guess I didn't really know this, but the whole like second wife thing is really a Jewish oral tradition cites that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife and Panina his second. And that that was really because that after 10 years, I guess this was allowed, mm-hmm. and Catherine, you let me know, yep. that um, after 10 years of Hannah not being able to have a child, essentially he was allowed or able to then have a second wife mm-hmm. who could right. have a child. And so that's where Panina really came into the fold mm-hmm. was after that 10-year mark where Hannah wasn't able to conceive. Right. Um, or another way of something they would do is they would offer up their servant, right? Mm. If you think of Abraham and Sarah, yeah, how she had Abraham um, sort of sleep with her main servant, which produced Ishmael, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it was something else that they would do. Yeah. But in this case, he chose to remarry. So Penina, her rival, would continue to provoke Hannah during these feasts. So what we don't know is if she saw or lived with Penina outside of them making this voyage. Um, I hope not. I hope she only saw her during these times. But when they would make this trek to and this journey to the tabernacle for these feasts, this is when Penina would strike. And um, it says, but her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year, as we know. And every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. And that was from the message version. That just speaks volumes right there. I can't imagine carrying that weight of just all of the feelings that come with Mm -hmm. not being able to produce a child. And then on top of that, having to be like humiliated and ridiculed by a rival wife on top of that. I just can't like talk about pouring salt in the wound. Right. You know. And here Panina had kids. You know, she had multiple children, Mm -hmm. sons and daughters, and yet she still felt the need to torment Hannah. So not only is she carrying the shame, right, but she's humiliated. Um, And in the Midrashic expansion, Midrashic expansion, which is early Jewish interpretation of or commentary, right, on this biblical text. That's what that is. Penina would annoy Hannah by asking her, did you buy a sweater for your eldest son or did you buy a shirt for your second son? Um, And again, these are all things that are attached to original biblical scripture that just elaborate in what might have been said. According to a different Midrashic tradition, early in the morning, Penina would question Hannah aren't you getting up to wash your children's faces before they go to school? And six hours later, she would ask, aren't you going to greet your children when they come home from school? 
So in this Midrashic retelling, Panina would harness ordinary everyday activities as barbs against Hannah by reminding her at all hours of the day of the difference between them. Hannah must have been a saint. Yeah. I mean, if this would yeah. have been me, there would have been a couple other sentences in there yeah. about how I responded. Yeah. And they wouldn't be pleasant. Um, I right. just can't imagine this story. We've talked about it a lot, but it's just, um, it's incredible to me. Well, it's incredible, but it's also, it's like, I think women do this to each other in this way where I read this thing where Panina would present it in such a way where she couldn't be called out for doing it. It wasn't blatant. It wasn't like, you know, hey, you know, you're barren and you're, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was more like, um, like, gee, aren't you going to, you know, aren't you going to do this? Ha, 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 wink, wink. It was, mm. it was done in such a subtle manner that she couldn't be called out for it, yet it was incredibly hurtful yeah. to Hannah as it, as it should be. Yeah. Fortunately um, for me, there's no one in my life who um, is that in my face yeah. about our infertility or struggle mm -hmm. to have a baby. But I do think it's it almost more shows up um, in really subtle ways. And it's not you know, whether people may assume that I have kids, mm. right? So asking me, um, how many children? Do you how have? many children do you have? Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's not intended to be mean, but there there's an assumption that because I'm 38 and we've been married for eight years mm -hmm. that we have kids. Right. And it's hard to then say no without explaining. Um, sometimes I feel like joking, right, with like mm. somebody if they ask me. I'm like, no, I hate kids. Yeah. Just like leave it at that. Um, but it's hard to then not explain because you kind of feel there's this pressure to explain why you don't have kids, mm. you know? So it'll show up that way. And then I think just social media makes things a lot harder too because people want to celebrate getting pregnant and their gender reveal right, and all right. the things kids right? Which is so amazing. And I would never want anybody to not do that. But sometimes it feels like it's in your face. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's more indicative of how I might be feeling yeah. in that moment. Yeah. But there were times where I was just really struggling with like, man, if one more person calls me and tells me they're pregnant, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not like the sentiment is still there. It's not like an enemy who's being so blatant with their um, disregard for feelings or just being or intentionally trying to hurt. Yeah, you. it's not yeah. intentional. Yeah. But it still has a lot of the same feelings mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. It's um, something where people, you said, might not intend for it to come across that way. And it might just be ignorance, mm -hmm. right? Um, just not understanding. But in the case where, as you said, you're fortunate that you don't have anyone in your life that does know your struggle with it and then chooses to rub your face in it anyway, right? Like, yeah, like that would be terrible. With. Yeah. Yeah. Can't even imagine that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to get into this point and ask you this next question, but um, so we know that her sweet husband, uh, Elkanah, Elkanah, let me get that right, Elkanah, 
saw and noticed how distraught she was. So she had a great husband, mm-hmm. right? He tried to fix it. He tried to make her feel better. And I know Andy's been very supportive yeah. with you too. You've mentioned that several times. So having that partner in your corner, yeah. really rooting and, and they can't fix it, right? Mm-hmm. They would have if they could have, right? They, yeah. they can't in this. We see that here. For he sure. can't fix it. He just wants to try to make her feel better. So he's giving her, bless his heart, double portion of the meat, right? He's giving Panina just a single and her kids single portion, mm-hmm. but to Hannah, he's trying to really take care of her. Um, what I love is Hannah's character. She did her best to stay with the family until they were done eating. So she's trying to do the right thing. He's giving her a double portion of meat. She's trying to, she doesn't really have much of an appetite. She's trying to stick through dinner. When they were done eating and drinking, scripture says she stood up to go pray. So Mm -hmm. she waited to the end. She stood up, but I really want to hit on this point because this is when she hits a breaking point. And it's in verse 10. And scripture calls it the bitterness of soul. So Hannah wept much, is what it says, uh, and prayed to the Lord. She was deeply troubled, pouring out her soul in prayer out of her great anguish and grief. So I read that and I think there's so many more words that they could have put in there. And I'm sure if we take from the message version, it would. Um, And I think I looked up in the message version, it said something similar, didn't elaborate too much. But we do know that she was so troubled that she was actually praying with no words coming out of her mouth. Her lips were moving. Mm -hmm. There was no sound so much that the priest sees this in the corner and assumes that she's drunk. So on top of everything else, right, we've got Panina rubbing her nose in it. And then we've got the priest incorrectly assuming that she's drunk. Um, But she's just overcome with with grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, 19 years at this point, she has been barren. She's been unable to produce, not for lack of trying. She's done everything she could do in those days. It has not produced. She wanted so desperately to be able to do that, right? So she comes to God in this bitterness of soul. And this is what I wanted to ask you, Christian. So in your journey, mm-hmm. right, is God indefinitely, like you've definitely had the ups and downs and the yep. roller coaster, the ups and downs. Do you relate to that in terms of bitterness of soul? And what does that look like? Or what did that look like for you? Yeah. Well, I think part of the journey that's important is also recognizing that early on in our infertility journey, I would say um, probably around, let's see, maybe 2018, um, I was going through a point in my life where I just wasn't really feeling like my faith was really strong. Mm. And I was praying a lot about wanting to feel closer to God. And I remember I've talked about this on a different podcast, but being at this leadership retreat with my company and we were talking about spiritual well-being and I was I remember leaving there thinking that this was something that I really needed to pour into because I wasn't feeling like I was really in a good place there mm-hmm. and so then we started on this path at the end of 2018 of starting IVF and going through all of the the things that you go through with all the doctor's appointments and the egg retrievals and genetic testing and all the stuff, right? And I would say that that was the like beginning phases of this trial in our life. And I didn't know it was the beginning phases at the time, but in hindsight, I do. Um, through 
through one of our rounds of IVF, we actually got pregnant briefly and had an early miscarriage, which is common in IVF. Um, you just know things a lot earlier yeah. in the process. Yeah. Like you know you're pregnant way earlier than you would know um, if you just got pregnant on your own. So it's common that you might miscarry, and that happened with us. And so it was kind of like we were really upset about that, but we also kind of felt like, okay, at least we know we can get pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of rationalize and you get back to a place of feeling hopeful, like this is going to be okay. And then we got pregnant again. And so then How it was... How soon after? Um, it was like seven months later. Mm -hmm. So one of the um, transfers that we did worked. So we got pregnant at the end of December 2019. Mm. And so we went into 2020 feeling good and optimistic. And obviously 2020 was a really down year for a lot of people mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> come March time Most frame. everyone. Yeah. Um, but we felt like, okay, through all of this craziness in the world, 2020 is going to be a good year for us because this is going to be the year that we have a baby. And then at five months, so this is crazy. I don't, it makes me tear up every time I talk about it, but. Um, at five months, we went in for an appointment, and there was no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So um, we had obviously miscarried again. And you were not obviously expecting that. No. I mean, everything was going. I don't know. Everything was fine yeah. up until then. Um, and so that is my, like, bitterness of soul oh, moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, where I just felt like... It was like the biggest like punch in the gut that I've ever received ever. It's definitely like the hardest thing I've ever been through yeah. in my life. Yeah. Um, and so I can relate to that feeling of um, Hannah in that moment and just feeling like you're just overflowing with anger and grief and frustration and I have never been at a lower point relative to my faith or my relationship I with bet. God than at that moment. Yeah. And was so confused by just a couple years earlier saying, like, this is something I really want to invest in. And I'm not perfect, but I felt like I was like really, really doing my best. And then for this to happen was so confusing. Mm -hmm. I bet. Um, in a moment I where I felt like I was really being vulnerable and trying to draw closer in that relationship with God. I just felt like in that moment, I literally remember saying and thinking like, I can't believe you did this to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As most people, you know, would be struggling with trying to understand and asking yourself, I, if it were me, I'd be asking myself, why did you allow me to get pregnant in the yeah, first place? Like, like what to, was the point of that? To build up the hope. Right. Mm -hmm. to, you're probably thinking nursery at this point. You're thinking yeah. names. You're thinking. Totally. Like, it's more than just a couple yeah. weeks down the road into this mm -hmm. journey. This is, you're really invested. Yeah. In and this. we had held back yeah. for so long on telling anybody, yeah. communicating. Oh, yeah. We had, um, I mean, the process of IVF really doesn't leave a lot of surprises. Like anyone in your family or your friends that know that you're going through IVF, they know that after your transfer, you know exactly two weeks after if you're pregnant. So yeah. you can't really not tell yeah. people that you're close to. Yeah, yeah. But we hadn't, uh, we had only found out the gender like two weeks prior 
because we were so nervous. So we waited until week like 18 or something to even do any of that because we were so nervous. Did you do something like a gender reveal? We did just a small thing with mine and Andy's family. But we hadn't put like anything on social media or anything like that. Yeah. So still very guarded, yet still very guarded. You're still kind of celebrating in a way, yeah, like you're for sure. Celebrating the gender and what you're having. So I I bring this up because I think it's so important to recognize, like, um, how invested you were in this, yeah, because that leads to just how much of a fall and how devastating, yeah. it must have been in that moment in the bitterness, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate. Yeah. So knowing then similar to Hannah, right. And having that breaking point in that moment of, you know, if you could be praying in the doctor's office, right. With nothing coming out of your mouth or maybe that night after you got home, um, relating to that. But what's so interesting to me about Hannah's story is that she made a vow Mm -hmm. in this time. And so she made a vow, Kristen, that said, if God would bless her with a son, that she would give him back to the Lord for all of the days of his life. So you give me a gift, I'll give you a gift back and I'll return him to your service. So I just find that so interesting that something that she's waited for, prayed for, desired for so long that she would allow this gift to flow through her Um, to birth a son, to be with him for three years. They estimate Samuel was about three years old um, when she would have weaned him um, and given him back to the priest, right, to raise and only see him once a year. So, like, imagine that. Like, Mm -hmm. what would that be like for you? I'm just talking about in terms of accepting God's will and making this vow to do this, to do something like that. Yeah, it just brings me back to again what a saint Hannah yeah. must be. I just can't I can't even wrap my brain around that. Yeah. Um that after all of that time to be able to make that promise and then actually do it, mm-hmm. right? Which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Like make good on it. Make yeah. good on it mm-hmm. um is just something I can't even wrap my brain around. It it's yeah, it's pretty unfathomable to think about that. And I, I'd like for us to also kind of journey in our minds to a place of where it's not, this doesn't just happen with children, right? And and fertility and being able to have children. This can actually be expanded to include other areas of our life where we're putting a lot of effort and energy into and it's producing nothing. This could be... Um, Maybe it is your health that you're struggling with and you're doing everything you know how to do and it is not helping Mm -hmm. the way you're feeling or your diagnosis. It could be a relationship that you're pouring yourself into. It could be a job. It it could literally be anything that is not producing results. That relative that you're praying for continuously and you're seeing no change in their situation or behavior. So I think it's important to expand on that. Yeah, I think what... Um, what I was thinking about relative to the variety of different things that it could be in your life relative to the trial that you're experiencing is what makes it really hard is like the intensity mm-hmm. of the trial and the duration. Yeah. Um, there's 
Can you expand on that, Kristen, like intensity and duration? Yeah. So infertility in and of itself is really challenging, right? But if we had, um, you know, done one round of IVF and gotten pregnant right away and had a kid, I definitely... So short duration. Would not... intense. Would not be... Yeah. Would not be struggling and having to go through all of the, the rigor of how I feel in my relationship with God. Like it wouldn't have been as extreme as it has been the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'm still working through the purpose of all of that. But the intensity of the emotions that you feel, the highs and the lows, like how extreme they are combined with how long you're in that trial for, make it really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, these sorts of emotions um, are different than how I've ever felt about anything at work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the severity of how I feel and the highs and the lows are so extreme. Like, so talk to me about that. So it'd be obviously elation of hope mm-hmm. and then it would be complete devastation and hopelessness, yeah. right? Disappointment when you get the news or you lose the baby. There's, or- yeah. And there's so many steps along the way yeah. for, um, for couples too, that even just trying to get healthy eggs, mm-hmm. it's like every doctor's appointment, there's so much emotion mm. built up in the appointments, right? Like, am I healthy? Can I produce eggs? Can my significant other produce healthy sperm? When they come together, what happened? Like, a lot of women can't even like a lot of, I shouldn't say just women, but a lot of couples can't produce healthy embryos. Mm. So there's so many points in this process where you could be let down that every doctor's appointment is a lot. It's a buildup. Right. Um, and that might be the case if you're dealing with something health wise and maybe you're struggling with a battle of, uh, with cancer or something that's just been kicking your butt, you know, yeah. and every time you go to the doctor, you're hoping for positive news. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Um, the letdown of that or like that day when I'm in the doctor's office and we find out that there's no heartbeat, that was the, like so far from what I was expecting yeah. in that appointment. And not to mention that because it was COVID, I was in there by myself. Andy oh, couldn't even wow. be in there with me. Wow. What, when did that happen in 2020? What? It was the end of April in 2020. Okay, so pretty soon after the pandemic had mm-hmm. started. Yeah. Wow. And so just like those emotions that you go through, like I said, are just so extreme. Mm-hmm. And then to have been in this particular trial now for five years like I can't recall another trial in my life where I felt like I was like in it for that long yeah you know so to go back and look at Hannah and to think that she's been in it for over three times as long as I have you know it's like it's I I can't even understand it yeah and this I mean the scripture doesn't tell us if ever she was pregnant and lost a child we don't know you know but well, and back then too, I mean, there's, you, you could have been and maybe mm-hmm. you wouldn't know. Right. Right. Um, it's not always as obvious as being so far along. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's just so much that you, you don't know about this yeah. story at this particular time. And you have to say, she had to have been asking herself as Panina is rubbing her nose in it and asking her these horrible questions, right? What's wrong with me? For sure. 
like I have, because I think there's so much pressure, especially in biblical times, right, of women to be able to produce that she's failing. She's not living up to her role mm-hmm. as a wife, right, as a potential mother. Um, so I think it's it's something where she had to carry all of that. So there had to be a tremendous amount of shame yeah. attached to it as well um, for her. But I love that she made this vow. So God, what I love about her story is that, well, first of all, and your story, Kristen, is that God is in control. Mm-hmm. And I think God has shown that throughout, that it's like, <laughs> I, sure. not you, <laughs> I am in control mm-hmm. and it's going to be in my timing. And so in timing for Hannah, it was one where he used that pain and that jeering from Panina and all of that to bring Hannah to a place where it's like, okay, God, I will vow to give him back to you. I will make this vow. Mm -hmm. So I think he allowed that time. And then after she prays, I love that it says this. So after receiving encouragement from Eli, the priest, she then goes back to eat something and her face was no longer downcast. I love that. The message version actually states, then she ate heartily, her face radiant. So she has this moment, it's, it just paints this picture of bitterness of soul, right? She's like weeping to the point where it's just nonstop tears and her mouth is moving with no words coming out to a place of like radiance. Don't you just look like just the contrast there is stark. It's like, yeah, wow. So she's going from this place and I, and I have to ask myself what delivered her to that place of having no appetite. Now she's eating heartily and having radiance. A look of yeah. The only thing that I can think of is that when you reach like really rock bottom, mm-hmm. um, there is also a sense of peace that comes with like, it's not getting worse than this. Yeah. There's a certain freedom, you know, and yeah. kind of like the acknowledgement of like, okay, obviously I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. And as angry as I am and as sad as I am and hurt, there's also relief is kind of a weird way to describe it, but there's also truly a, all right. Yeah. I Whatever you want. I surrender. Mm -hmm. Like don't even know what else to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I once heard the difference between, um, not that you're saying, a goodbye to this by any means. But if you think about the word goodbye, Kristen, you want it to be like a goodbye to the control that I thought I had, mm-hmm. but have it be a good bye. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Not a bad bye. Not not a, um, you know what? The heck with this. Like, like there's still resentment, but it's just complete surrender that it's like a goodbye. Like it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to you and I release it. Yeah. You know, like get to that place. Yeah. And I think that only trial in that, to that degree, as you put it, intensity and duration will deliver you to that point of that good vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it certainly did for Hannah, right? Because mm-hmm. she's having this point of radiance. And so, um, so I believe that she knew in her heart that God was at work. And this is where faith really steps in because it's not questioning him. 
why did you bring Panina into my life? Why are you giving her children? Why, what did I do so wrong that I'm not getting children? Um, you know, and you, you allow her to like torture me and you can't end that. And you can't, you know, there's not these questions that I think would be certainly within the realm of under, I would understand why she would ask those questions. She's not doing that. And instead she's praising God and she's releasing it to him. And she knew in her heart of heart that he was at work. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, do you have that feeling, Kristen, when you're like, okay, we're getting ready to do another round of IVF or whatever, like when that time comes and you just know God is at work. I'm at peace. God's at work. Yes. Yes, for sure. There's an acknowledgement of God's at work. Yeah. I think the thing that is hard is trying to figure out my role. And we always talk about how you have to show up, you have to contribute, you have to make decisions. Um, what is my role in this plan? And is it doing another round of IVF? Is God's plan for us adoption? Is it none of this stuff? Right. And we don't do anything. And it's like truly on you and your will that we get pregnant on our own. That's where it then like becomes hard yeah. to figure out what is his plan and am I um aiding in that in a positively in a positive way or am I negatively contributing by trying to control something right. to have the outcome that I want to have. Right. And so there's definitely a feeling of like God's at work here, but there's been, and I've told you and Gina this, there's been months where I've prayed, months and months around like, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. Like, do we do another round of IVF? Do we not? Do we start looking into adoption? Yeah. What do we not do anything? And there's been months where I haven't heard anything. I was just going to ask, where did that leave you? Um, did you feel God guiding you or giving you answers? Not in those months. I feel like um, what Andy and I got good with is like he will put it on our hearts what the right thing to do is. Mm. And little. So talk about that. What does that mean, put it on your heart? That's kind of Christianese a little bit. I just want to break that down. What does that feel like for you and Andy? Um, like my prayers are like, control my thoughts and my feelings, Mm. you know? Um, And I I remember this time, it wasn't this time last year. It was probably uh, around Thanksgiving time. Mm -hmm. Both of us were sitting at the table and I can't remember which of us brought it up first, but let's just say, let's just say it was Andy brought it up and said, Hey, what do you think about doing another round of IVF, but seeing a different doctor? Mm. And I had, I hadn't told him this, but earlier that day I was Googling different doctors. Oh, wow. And a friend of mine who I know had used this fertility clinic in another city And she had this long post on Facebook about how great it was. And she just had a baby and was just so complimentary. And I asked him, well, do you have any ideas around that? Like, that's crazy. I've been thinking the same thing. And then both of us said the same doctor, like the same clinic. And so there's moments like that where you're like, okay. Confirmation. 
Yeah. Like I feel really good about like we're on the same page and I was praying for that. Like put it on our hearts to control our thoughts and emotions and like help us want the same thing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that like our next step is just easier. It's yeah. more clear to us. Yep. And that couldn't have been more, more clear. clear in that moment, yeah. you know? Absolutely. I did not know that. That yeah. is really mm-hmm. a cool story yeah. and how God has confirmed that for you. Mm-hmm. That is, that's amazing. Um, and of course, you know, going back to the story with Hannah, she didn't have that. She had limited opportunities yeah. that way. But I think there's something we can still learn from that and her surrender. And and with your story, Kristen, I see the kind of the same thing in surrender. Like you're brought to your breaking point and it's like, okay, God, what can I do to pass this test? What is needed to be shown by me? Is it surrender? Is it an yeah. action I need to take? What is it? Recognition that you're in control and in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you kind of had that moment. Yeah. For sure. And now it's like, okay, what's the next step? So I love that how you put it, like asking God for control um, of your feelings and thoughts. So with Hannah, so then basically she goes back, she eats heartily, she has this radiant face, right? She knows that God is at work and she has faith in her God, right? Who's Mm -hmm. always faithful. So therefore she didn't doubt or worry. I loved that. Um, And also just a side note that, you know, um, by praying honestly to God, right. And, and just her change in attitude, uh, as a result of praying honestly to God, this is really the antidote, right. Of discouragement to, to tell God how you really feel, and leave your problems with him. And that sounds like that's kind of what you did, mm-hmm. Kristen. And I'll never forget, I, yeah. and I've told this story before, but I was talking to my brother who is just such a strong Christian. Um, really, really respect him in so many ways, but especially regarding his faith. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember him telling me, like, it's okay that you're mad. Tell him you're mad. Right. Yell at him. Right. Don't say anything, you know, like use your, use your mouth, but like similar to Hannah, if yeah. no words come out cause you're so mad, that's okay. But, um, just don't stop talking to him. Yeah. Like let him know how you feel. Let him know that you're disappointed. Yeah. Let him know that you're really frustrated, that you're angry, that you feel like he let you down, whatever it is, but just no different than you would with another relationship that you would have. Just talk to him. Yeah. Yeah, just keep the conversation flowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about what the words are, right? In that moment of earnest yeah. feeling. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, bottom line for Hannah, it didn't say how long it took. I've seen some reports saying within a year, um, some commentaries, but really scripture doesn't tell us how long it took um, for her to get pregnant. But she returns home right? And she does get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, I submit to you, though, that I think her faith was still tested. Yeah. I think that she probably had a few times of she's not pregnant and um, trials. And um, did God really hear that prayer? Did he really like take me up on on this vow? Um, So I believe that God allowed a certain amount of pain in Hannah's life to bring her to the point of making the vow. And then I think the second portion of this is that he allowed a secondary time period for her to go through of challenges and difficulty to make good on the vow. Because mm-hmm. how hard would it be to pray that long for that child 
to have him in your arms for three years, the bonding that happens. Yeah. I mean, that is your son that you paid, you know, you prayed for dearly. Mm-hmm. You get the son and now you've got to make good on the vow. Mm-hmm. So I think he had to bring her mentally to a place where she would make good on it. Yeah. So I think that second time period, I believe, is what brought her to that point. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she did. And so he did this miracle in Hannah's life. So she conceives, she gives birth to the son, Han- uh, Samuel. Um, and so she devotes Samuel back to God. And he's brought up in the house of the Lord. Uh, the NIV version says, young as he was, is how they say it. Some scholars, as I mentioned, believe he was about three years old, which was the customary age for weaning. But she continued to visit him regularly mm-hmm. and I thought about that like making him little robes and stuff and going yeah, up to see how him, hard that like must once have been. a year and to say goodbye to him but I think it shows the foundation of her faith because mm-hmm. she knew that God this was a gift from God that she was giving back to him because ultimately everything we have is a gift is on loan from For God sure. if you think about yeah. that so he's loaned he's lent her Samuel mm-hmm. you know here you go Mm-hmm. And now can this son, can this gift do something for my God in yeah. a way that would bring glory back to him? Mm-hmm. And and she did it. And I just read that and I'm just left in absolute awe of her, her devotion yeah. to God. But I bet I, it put Panina in her place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go yeah. greet my son from school. That's right. Yeah. It's just not here physically. Yeah. My <laughs> son is a priest. So yeah. sit on that. Sit on that. <laughs> yeah, Panina. Well, and um, Hannah went on to have three more sons and two I daughters know. after all of that. Because you will never be in debt to God. Mm-mm. Sorry. Like you can tithe, you can give back to him. Yeah. He's never going to be in our debt. Mm-hmm. So he goes on, you're right, to bless her with three more sons and two daughters. And of course, um, if you're interested, you can dive more into Hannah's prayer, which is in First Samuel. And I love that she does have a little, uh, little um, joust at Panina in there about, you know, her enemy um, prevailing over her enemy. But... Um, she did it. And so I think it's a beautiful story. I think it shows us how God can work through our desperation, through our darkest time, through our bitterness of soul, right? And he mm-hmm. can bring something about that is so beautiful. And in the end, I bet at the end of Hannah's life, and she's looking back and she's got six children, including Samuel, which is one of the most, you know, prominent prophets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they have and and uh yeah, prophet. He was a seer. So prophet, I bet looking back, there's no regrets there. Yeah. There's no regrets. Now, you would have to ask if she didn't get pregnant, we might have been a different conversation. Yeah. But she did. Mm-hmm. And um so I just wanted to close with that thought and and Kristen, like your thoughts overall um on Hannah's life and how it progressed with children and and Samuel becoming what he was. And he ended up, just little side note, he ended up going and living right near and in the same town where Hannah was from. Mm-hmm. And so kind of carrying on her, her yeah. legacy there. Such a well-known, you know, he was famous. Yeah. Everybody knew him. I think for me what stands out just related to my journey is, you know, those prayers that I had in 2018 of wanting to be stronger in my faith. Yeah. Um, God heard the, that prayer. The, yeah, the way that your prayers are answered, you know, are going to look different than what you thought. 
And there's been so many positive things that have come from this trial in my life. Like I've talked about, I wouldn't have met you and Gina. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, I went to encouraging women. um, It was the fall of 2020, I think. It was. And I did that because I was at a really, really low point. And I was just searching for connection and for how to to be around other women who were hurting and going yeah. through the same thing and, and like how do real. you how do you yeah. do this mm-hmm. right um and if i hadn't met you guys we wouldn't have this podcast That's you know right. and i learn so much from this and selfishly um my faith gets stronger through yeah. all of this Mine and does too. um And my relationship with my husband is in a really, really good place. Mm -hmm. You know, the benefit to us having been married for eight years and not have kids is like him and I have been able to do a lot of really amazing things together, Mm -hmm. you know, and just be him and I. Yeah. And it's going to be different whenever we have a kid, right? Oh, much different. So there's elements of that that I feel really grateful for. And... um our marriage has gotten a lot stronger through this too. So I could write a whole list of things that I feel like I've learned or that I'm grateful for. It's hard when you're still in the middle of a trial oh, definitely. to really like put a bow on it and be like, oh my gosh, let me tell you a story because there's no ending yet. And so that part's a little bit hard. Yeah, There's still moments where I just struggle Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's normal. Yeah. Um, it's not anything I'm ashamed of or anything, but um, there's also hope that things are going to um, play out the way they should. Yeah. And I'll be better for it and Andy will be better for it because of the last five years. Yeah. And so there's peace in that, too. Yeah. 100%. So last question. Kristen, I know you're very open about liking to have control of things. You're like, people will know me as the control freak. Um, Do you think that that's helped a little bit with being able to let go and holding things loosely and recognizing, look, everything is on loan from God, whether he deems it into our lives or not. Yeah. I have no control over that. So has that helped you not only with this, but in other areas and ultimately recognizing his power? And control in our lives. Absolutely. I think that's been probably the biggest lesson for me personally in in potentially um, really diving into a weakness of mine, which is controlling everything. And I think there is also peace in other areas of my life, being Mm -hmm. able to step back and realize like that isn't mine to control. Right. And that's something that I will like for sure take with me because that's been a huge lesson in all of this. It's kind of be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. So he's not asking us to do anything. Mm -hmm. Just be still and acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Because going back to the um, duration part of this, you know, I can only speculate, Mm -hmm. but again, if we had just done one round of IVF and it worked and we got pregnant, I mean, is it possible that I chalk that up to a decision that Andy and I made? Yeah. 
I mean, and therefore controlling. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think about that a lot. And um, to have gone through what we've been through, um, that's just so far from how I think it's all happening at this point. It's really, when I think about your story, it's really about God's timing Mm -hmm. and Hannah's story, right? It's really about how God and when God chooses to act. And it's, it's probably, for me, that's one of the most confusing parts of faith is understanding his timing and Mm -hmm. knowing like that saying that, um, like God is never late, right? But he's never early either. Mm -hmm. And so we would have him be 15 minutes early to the party if we could every time, Mm -hmm. but it's not. And so it's just trusting in that divine timing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your story and being so honest and transparent and vulnerable. I know there are many people that will benefit from hearing your story of faith and your courage mm-hmm. um, and your thoughts on the story of Hannah, which um, I love and I love your thoughts on that. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we um, will close this episode by thanking you all at home for joining us. And we hope and pray that you have a rebounding week. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Come and join us next week and be sure to like and subscribe to Rebounding Faith.